Blessed Lord God, come to us as we hear, as we crack open your word, as we see what you have for us, as we give you our best. We pray this, Father, in the name of Jesus, our reconciler. Amen. Well, please be seated. So let me see if we can get this turned on here. So, Julian Dobbs, your bishop, did you, how many know that he's a marathoner? Yeah, he is. He is a gazelle. <laughs> he sends his greeting, and he says he hopes that you will watch him run the New York Marathon in a couple of weeks. He says he may try to run right by your church, but if he does, he's going to be off limits. So uh, be thinking about uh, Julian as he gets ready. He's up to the running like 23 miles at a time now, getting ready for the 26-mile run. Well, I have a question for you. You ready? Okay, here's the question. How do you live as a Christian in a hostile environment? How do you do that? How do you live as a Christian in a culture that's got everything against what you believe? How do you do that? Now, your rector gave me three verses to preach on. I think he was afraid I would preach way too long. So he gave me three verses to preach on. You'll find it, I think, on page 9 in Colossians there, verses 21, 22, and 23. Those verses have something to do with how we live in a hostile culture. Now, he's probably, you've already given him a review of Colossae and that whole thing. I'm going to give it again. So, Colossae was a little village. There's nothing left now. It's a field. Was a little village in what's uh, now Turkey, in western Turkey. It was a village. The main city was Ephesus. Now, as some of you know, we live in Syracuse, New York, not Sicily. I would suspect there are weeks and months and maybe even years that go by in your life when you don't think of Syracuse. Can you testify? Okay, all right. I can tell you in Syracuse, we hear about New York City every day. So you might say Syracuse is somewhat insignificant compared to the big city. That's the way Colossae was to Ephesus. St. Paul missionized Ephesus. In fact, he lived there a couple of years as a missionary, as a, as a traveling, uh, what came to be called a bishop. And he sent out people to villages to carry the message of Christ. And one person he sent out was Epaphras. Epaphras missionized Colossae. Someone else missionized another village close by, Laodicea. Someone else, Hierapolis. They were like three villages along a river. Now, Epaphras did a good job of claiming Colossae for the gospel. But there was a problem in, in, in Colossae, what we, what we call today the Colossian heresy. Right? The parish was strong, but they had nibbles of hostility all around them. It's believed that there was kind of an early form of Gnosticism invading Colossae. 
and this would mean that spirit, good, flesh, bad. Okay? Spirit, good, flesh, bad. And so, but it's not like the Holy Spirit. It's sort of like that kind of that, you know, today you hear people say, well, I'm very spiritual. Which really actually, to me, really doesn't mean anything. But kind of they, they think lofty thoughts. Well, that's kind of where spirit was, kind of thinking lofty thoughts. Um, they had a lot of gods they could address and talk with. When it came to matter, they believed basically matter is evil. So what do you do with evil matter? What do you do with your flesh? One attitude was you become ascetic. You don't, eat any, you don't do anything except in moderation. And most things you don't do anything at all. Okay. That, that kind of flew in the face of the Roman Empire attitude, but that was one outcome of believing spirit good, flesh bad. The other thing is, well, since my flesh is bad anyway, who cares? All kinds of license came into that system. Both of these approaches were not what God had intended in the Scripture. So, when the gospel of Jesus coming as God in the flesh was introduced, there was much question about how that could be. How could divinity inhabit flesh? So, Epaphras probably came back and talked to Paul and said, you know, they're, they're doing a pretty good job there, but I can get the impression they don't believe Jesus is enough. They got other stuff they got to do. So Paul wrote this letter back. The basic content of the letter is Jesus is God in the flesh and he's all you need. A lot of us agree with that. I agree with that. Okay. And so he was addressing uh, this heresy which believed that Jesus was simply not enough. He was good, but he was not enough. So my little summary, in these three verses, Paul reminds the Colossians of their prior decadent lifestyle before they came to Christ. He explains how Jesus reconciled them. Reconcile is kind of the theme for today's sermon. And then he encourages them to live for Jesus in a hostile environment. This message pertains to us today. Where we live, whether it be one of the five boroughs, or up in Syracuse, where we live, in case you've been under a rock, we're living in a very hostile environment for Christianity. Okay. I remember when that was not the case. I've seen it happen over the years. So, let's look at these three verses and see what they might tell us about the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if you've noticed those three verses on page 9, do you see any periods? It is one long sentence. Paul was famous for that. I'm sure the, his secretaries who wrote that out wanted to keep putting a period in there somewhere. It's a long sentence, and so we've chopped it into these three verses, and we're going to go over them one at a time. First is that verse 21. It says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Well, of course, they had been doing the Roman Empire shuffle. The Roman Empire shuffle. It, in, it involved three things. 
gluttony, sex, and paganism. If you did those three things, you were a good Roman citizen. And they had mostly all been involved with that. And so he just calls them out on it. Okay, this is the way you were living. Living. And he said that produced hostility. Hostile in mind. There's some of that going on today. We know a young woman who has fallen in love with a young man. She's a Christian. He grew up unchurched. He's a really nice guy. He, he loves her, so he started to go to church with her. Now he's got a mother and his father and a stepfather and a stepmother. Are they happy about this? There's a bit of hostility, isn't it? Is he abandoning our family values, going to church? That's, maybe some of you have experienced that. Um, we, we went to two weddings last Saturday. Not yesterday, but last Saturday. They were family weddings. I did one of them. The one I did was a Christian wedding. I mean, we had prayer. We saw that marriage between husband and his wife is like Christ in the church. Um, it was what you would consider a Christian wedding. Now, the other wedding we went to, really, really nice family member, uh, was not what I would call a Christian wedding. Uh, there was not a prayer. There was no mention of God in the whole ceremony. I thought, ah, oh, this breaks my heart. But the people that got married didn't think anything about it. They were glad, you know, they paid a wedding official. Do you have wedding officials in New York City? She wore a kind of a, like what I'm wearing. But there was no God there. We're living in a, in a society that really would like to say, God's good if, it's, if you want it. Don't go out of this Seventh-day Adventist church with it, though. Leave it there. The culture today, I'll, I'll repeat what a pope a few years ago said, the culture today is a culture of death. Now, it's still a great culture, and I like it. I mean, I, I live in it, and it, you know, I prosper in it. But it's a, kind of a culture in death which will trap you. It will enslave you. Do you like being enslaved? Think mousetrap. Would you like to be free from that without becoming Amish? Jesus frees the captives. He wants to free you. He wants to free me. So as they say on TV, but wait, there's more. Verse 22. It says, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. So you who were once alienated, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Heart of the gospel. Okay? Reconciliation comes from a Hebrew word, kaufar. Strange. If you're Hebrew, that makes sense to you. We think kaufar. You can do a lot of bad things pronouncing that word. Okay? But it, it means to bring things together. Sometimes if you're an accountant, you think about reconciling the books. 
Sometimes you think of my parents, you know, everybody finds out at some point that they hate their parents. And then there's got to be a reconciliation. Uh, bring together. Uh, in, the, in the New Testament, this has to do with what's called atonement. You might call it at one mint. You might call it a tone, one tone, mint. It's a bringing together. Anybody have a Bible, either a Bible like this or in your phone? I'd like somebody to stand up and read a passage for me. Yes. Ian, if you would uh, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This uh, scripture he's going to read, verses 17, 17 through 21. This is what reconciliation is all about. Would you stand and face the congregation? 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. You got it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. For we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made sin for God. Thank you. I was trying to find somebody with a, the perfect accent to read that. <laughs> That's reconciliation. Uh, Romans 5.8 says, For God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There was an Archbishop of Canterbury, not the one we have now, but one about a thousand years ago, named Anselm. Archbishop Amsel, Anselm discovered in the Bible what we now take for granted, and that is the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ. We ought to be on the cross through our sin and our rebellion. God, loving us, becomes a human being, dies in our place on the cross, that we might be free. That verse 22 is what that's all about. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present us, you and me, holy and blameless and above reproach. That's a gift. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. That's why we get together every week. To remember again what God has done to free us. And so we move to verse 23. Paul continues, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, the Greek in here that I studied is not so much if, and if you don't, you're going to hell. It's, it, it's, kind, of an, it's kind of an encouragement. Since you continue. He's assuming people are going to continue in that faith once they've received Christ. 
But that's not easy, is it? It was not easy when I started out as a Christian, and it's not easy today to remain in your faith. Um, I mentioned that I was a, a, a young uh, Marine officer when I first met Jesus personally. Now, I think the Marine Corps is a great organization. So what I'm saying is not to denigrate the Marine Corps. It does its job. Individually, however, we had what you might call a relative set of values socially. You get me? So I lived in this world where every other word is something that my mother would wash my mouth out with soap if I used. My temptation was to use the words to be accepted, right? Uh, or Friday afternoon from 4.30 to about Saturday morning was called happy hour. <laughs> we all gathered, our squadron, we all gathered at the club. That, in fact, the, the meeting, the officer's meeting, started at 4 o'clock in the squadron, and then it continued on at the club. So I was expected to be there. How did I live in that environment? You, you see, it, I, I have an understanding of how it is to live as a Christian in a, in a hostile environment. Um, I had to learn there were ways to do it. One is fill my head and my heart full of Scripture. I had to learn to maintain some Christian friends to help give me encouragement. I had to learn to not avoid non-Christian friends. For me, it meant not becoming Amish. Okay? Um, it meant that I needed to stay plugged into a Christian community, to a parish. It meant I was not to be a self-righteous jerk. They made very little progress for the gospel. And finally, I learned to do my marine job well. Those steps allowed me to live as a Christian in a somewhat socially hostile environment. Well, today, okay, so that was 50 years ago. Uh, 50 years ago, the sexual activity was called a sexual revolution. It's not a revolution anymore, is it? Today, it's licensed. You can do whoever you want, as many as you want, whatever gender you want, it's all up to you, as long as it's authentic. How do you live as a Christian where the scripture teaches that sexual intercourse is a gift of God to be used between a man and a woman in marriage? How do you live in that world? How do you maintain integrity? Even worse is what's called pluralism, which I call extreme pluralism. Pluralism says all religions are good and they're all heading in the same direction. None's better than the other. How do you live in a world where your faith teaches you that the only hope is Jesus Christ? Now, if I were to preach that out on the street, I would be called a bigot. But that's the faith we live in. Hope is in Jesus Christ. And you know, in your world, there are many areas where to take a biblical stand means to have a head-on collision with society, with culture. Paul gives us a hint. 
He says, don't, don't shift from the hope of the gospel that you have heard and which you now live. Don't get conned into shifting away from Jesus. Hold on to Jesus, and he will hold on to you forever. That's not too bad. Application. In other words, conclusion of the sermon. I've only been here for an hour now, so I'm going to come, come to a conclusion. How do you, in New York City, maintain hope? I suggest the following. Be sure of your salvation. I've heard so many people when I've said, well, what's going to happen after you die? Say, I don't know. I'm trying to be good. I hope I make it to heaven. That is, that is self-destructive. You're not going to make it. Being assured of your salvation is, assured of your salvation is believing that God loves you so much, he's called you to himself in Jesus. Yours is to repent of your sins, verbally invite Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, and live for him. Ice. It's great to do that. There's a passage in Romans 10, 10. It says, if you say with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what will happen? You'll be saved, right? You will be saved. Saved means today going on forever. That's the first one. Be sure of your salvation. And it's easy to be sure of your salvation. Just give yourself to Jesus. Okay? Second, pour your heart into the Holy Bible. Pray the Bible. Uh, Mary Ellen and I are in a position where we're very thankful. We can, we can do morning prayer together. Um, we, we're a prayer team. Um, we sin. God forgives us. We read the Bible every day. Praying and reading the scripture every day is important. Um, third, learning about biblical ethics. A lot of us don't really want to know about biblical, biblical ethics. Um, read Ten Commandments, the commandment to love. We're not so sure we want to follow those. In fact, when we look, we look at the Ten Commandments and it's kind of like a smorgasbord. I'll take one, skip two and three, I'll take five, and so I'll, I'll follow three of those commandments. That's not too bad. Okay. When, in fact, the Ten Commandments call, call us to that freedom. How do I respect God, others, and myself? Read the Ten Commandments. The next is love Jesus wildly. How many of you have ever been in love? In love. Yeah, yeah. Most of us have been in love. Um, when you're in love, you just want to spend time with that person, don't you? Love Jesus wildly. Live for him. Talk with him. He wants to hear you. Listen to him. He wants to talk to you. Okay? Stay in your church family. Family. This is a family. You need one another. You come here on Sunday to worship Almighty God and to be 
a family. Tuck in close to your church family. Because even though we live in a hostile environment, we can be victorious. What did that great theologian Casey Stingle say? It ain't over till it's over. And I'll tell you, it ain't over. Even though culture is moving way, way in a different direction, God's not moving. He wants to hold us as we live our lives. I have found that even in this environment, we can not only survive, we can prosper. We can sense the inner peace God has meant for us right from the beginning. God has called you to that. And not only that, but he's called you to be an ambassador to New York City. Praise God. Let us pray. Lord God, uh, we thank you that um, you do call us to love you and to, to enjoy you forever. We ask that you prosper us, that we can be the witnesses you call us to be. For Father, we pray this in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.